0: Um, they were actually, well, uh, let's, let's start with second uh, Samuel, I'm sorry, First Samuel chapter number 18. You know what? I don't have that listed here, so I just have the reference. So let me look it up Also, First Samuel chapter 18. Yes. First Samuel chapter 18 and verse number 28. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Good to be looking at David and Michael, the, David's first wife, Michael's first husband. And <clears throat> when she was given to David, it, there was a political thing going on, and there was all kinds of stuff that was, you know, beside the point. What you want to get out from this verse, what we want to emphasize and focus and showcase right here, is that Michael loved David. And I believe you could say at this point, David loved Michael. Lord, thank you so much for this, your word. I pray that you help us to try to figure out what happened in this relationship. Why did it go sour? And boy, did it ever. It went bad south. And uh, Lord, I just pray that today you might be able to even speak to us, speak to our hearts. Lord, I just love every person here at Wooden Valley Baptist Church—the visitors, the friends, the members. And Lord, I, I pray that tonight you would take the lessons from the Word of God that we can learn about what happened to this relationship and apply them to our own homes and our own relationships, but then also our walk with you. But Lord, I pray that tonight you'd help us to understand what happened to the flame in this romance and this love relationship between Michael and David. Lord, I pray that you just bless, bless, and all that's said and done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Some background before we read the event that we'll start with in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So if you can turn your Bible there and get ready. And when we get there, just in a, in a moment. But <coughs> the children of Israel recovered the ark of the Lord. When, they, when Saul was the captain, was the king of Israel... Boy, he did some really dumb things, and he just, he took the children of Israel and, and got them in a bad way, in a bad place, <coughs> and messed up. I mean, messed up, mess, mess, messed up big time. The Philistines went to war against them and actually were winning. They captured the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, where, where there was the mercy seat and the things inside the Ark, there was where it was supposed to be. Furniture in the, the the temple, in the holy place, actually the holy of holies. And and uh, so the enemy took the ark. And, and the enemy looks at this furniture of the temple in a very superstitious way. You know, like if they could have that as kind of like some kind of a magic stone or something like that. If they could get a hold of this, then they'd have power. And uh, so what happened was they stole the ark, but then... And it's a very unique story of how that God got the Ark back by sending hemorrhoids to the enemy. And if you don't believe me, read it yourself. But anyway, that's exactly what God did until they were fed up with it. And they said, what are we going to do with this thing? God was cursing us with, as the Bible call them, hemorrhoids, But that's what it is, hemorrhoids. And, and so finally they, they got to the place where they said, get rid of this thing. They wanted it to go out of their country, out of their land. Just get rid of it. Um, god was was uh, uh, sending diseases and closing up the wombs of the Philistines, and so they said let 's w- how do we get rid of this they didn 't know they didn 't have the word of God to to refer to about what God said about you know transporting the ark from here to there. So they put the ark on a, a new cart, and they had some oxen, and they said, "Go, and they you know whipped the oxen and they just put it on a road toward israel, and sure enough, here comes the, the cart and and it comes into Israel, so they 're rejoicing about this time <coughs> Uh, Saul is off the, the scene. He, he's killed in that battle. David assumes the throne of Israel. And they recover the ark. They were ecstatic. The ark came back home. They can now put the ark, the furniture, back in the place of the Holy of Holies. And they were just so excited about that, especially David. He loved the Lord, loved worshiping, and now things were back in place and, uh, and so they were ecstatic about the whole thing, in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse number 7, what they did was, they said, okay, let's take the ark, and let's put it on a cart, just like the, the Gentiles did, and uh, bring it on home. Well, that's not how to support the ark, that's not how to transport the ark. They knew that better, or they should have known better, but they didn't. They were just doing what the Gentiles did. That's what they did. They put it on this cart. So they put it on the cart to take it home. And as they were taking it home, you remember what the whole situation was when... when uh, uh, not Uriah. What's his name? Uh, Uzzah. 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 Yeah. Uzzah. They're going along, and there's this pothole or something, uh, a rut in the road, and the, 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 uh, the wagon shakes... He puts his hands on the ark. Oh, man, bad, major bad. God said nobody's to touch the ark. He puts his hand on the ark. God kills him right there on the spot. They don't know what to do. They stop. The parade is, is, there's no more rejoicing. There's no more. Now they're fearing God, and now they're saying, what? how are we going to get this ark back home if people are going to die in the transportation of it? And so then they inquire of the Lord, and it's very clear. All you got to do is read the word of God. David sees that. And back in, in uh, the uh, uh, Pentateuch, God gives very clearly the way to bring the ark back. It's not supposed to be on a, an ark or on a cart with oxen. It's supposed to be uh, carried by the priest. That's what those holes are for in the, in the ends of the ark, the sides of the ark, the corners of it. And staves through that, and then they're to be carried by humans. And uh, not to touch the ark, but to, to carry the thing like that, and then they would bring it back like that. Well, and by the way, David got onto the priest also. He says, wait a minute, you guys should have known this. You, because you didn't do this after the, after the, the, the proper way that, that God had, had laid out in the blueprints, I mean, he was mad at, at the uh, uh, priests because it was their job to know the word of God, to say this is what we're supposed to do to follow God and worship him and, and uh, take care of the things of God. But they didn't do their job but, and somebody died. But now they, they get back on track. <coughs> finally, after the harsh but necessary correction that they did, they're on track again, and they're coming home with the ark. And we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse number 12, And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath bled, blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all that pertained unto him. That's where the ark stopped, because uh, Uzzah died at that point. They just put it, okay, bring it bring it to this place. And it was in Obed-Edom's Obed- house. God was blessing him and blessing him. Uh, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of obed into the city of David with gladness. I mean, he is saying, this is great. This was a wonderful thing. Finally, we're getting the ark back. Finally, things back in the place that they should be. Finally, we're going to honor the Lord. We're going to worship him how God had intended. And they had gladness. Verse 13. And it was so that when they bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Every six paces, they did another sacrifice. I'm telling you, it was a big deal. It was a big deal, and it was expensive, and it was uh, it was uh, 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 it cost them a lot to do this. But David was. listen, this is for the Lord, this is for God, and and nothing could be too much for the Lord. And so here he's sacrificing along the way, verse 14, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. And by the way, uh, some of you might look at what the Bible says right here, because the the current culture that we live in uh, says that, it's okay to dance, and they dance in nightclubs, they dance in in, uh, whatever, different places, but they also dance in church, and uh, some of it's like choreography, and that's okay, whatever, but then some of it's more like just dancing, and they say, well listen, the Bible says that (coughs) David danced, it's not the same kind of dancing, it's not like the dancing that we see nowadays, it's lewd, it's vulgar, it's it's sexual, it's, you know, bodies are moving in and, and, and ways to where it's just not right. It's not right, it's not holy, it's not just. It, it, puts, it puts ideas in heads, and it's not, that is, that is so far away from what David did right here, this is not the same kind of dancing. What is, is happening here, it says David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the trumpet, and he's just so excited, it's just like a kid. And here's, here's the ark coming in here, and he's saying, hey, look, the ark is coming in is That's the kind of dancing that he was doing. Okay? Yeah, there you go. and, and, and But he was just, you know, sometimes I sit here and we're, we're singing things, like this morning, Or many times, you know, even the music, the the music part of the service where we're worshiping God. And man, it means so much. And I'm just standing there like I'm at attention and thinking, I want to just say, yeah, I want to do what David did. You know, really? This is great. (laughs) Thank you, God. You know, but that's, hey, listen, David was not hindered by uh, anybody. He didn't care who saw him. He was the king of of Israel at the time. He was the most honored man, but you know what? It's not like he had this regal position and he just couldn't show emotion. No, he was before the Lord and he was showing emotion. What was it? I don't know. Maybe he did some cartwheels. Maybe he just was, was jumping for joy, but that's the dancing that we're talking about. He danced before the Lord. Verse 15. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of trumpet. I mean, there was, there was music, there was celebration, they were, they were thanking God, they were worshiping him, verse 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, oh, here you go, David's first wife. Now, this was years, I hadn't checked my uh, Bible chronology, but this was years after he was espoused to Michael, after Michael came in, where that was David's first wife. He was a young, young man, and he was uh, given Saul's daughter to, be, uh, 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 to wed her, and she loved him. He loved her, obviously, and, and what he did, we'll, we'll take a look at that in a little bit. But this is years later. <coughs> a lot of water under that bridge, there was a time where when david was at odds with his father-in-law that Saul took michael gave her to somebody else to be somebody else's wife for some time for years until Saul's now dead and gone and then he's got michael back in the palace and she again becomes his wife michael Saul's daughter looked through a window <coughs> And she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. She hated him. She looked at what David was doing and she said, that's disgusting. She despised him in her heart. Wow, that's. That's kind of like not what everybody was doing at that point, huh? She was kind of out of sync with the whole crowd and with David and with everything. It was a rejoice, a celebration time. Verse 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering, burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. That means that he did something good for them. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as to the women, as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Man, I tell you, there's a celebration. And David said, that it's on the house. The, 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 the nation will foot the bill for a celebration. Hey, man, we're going to feed you. It'll take, and, and this is, this is a red-letter day. We're rejoicing because of what's going on. What a celebration. What a great service. A hallelujah time. But wait, not so fast. He gets home. And he gets clobbered. Look at what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household, <coughs> and Michael, his wife there, <coughs> the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. What in the world? I'm telling you, she's got, she's got something that's, that's pretty off here. What is she talking about? Well, he's jumping around and he's dancing, maybe doing cartwheels, and he kind of looks foolish, looks like a child. Uh, he he's, he doesn't look respectable to me. I think that he should he should be the king and, and he should you know be honored and he should uh, conduct himself like a, however she thought that he should conduct himself. You know I just re- I just realized the the, the, <laughs> the similarities to what we're experiencing in our government nowadays, where people see our president and they just think that he's you know whatever. This, by the way, that's got nothing to do with the message. Scratch that out of your mind, okay? But you can certainly see how some people love them and some people can't stand them. Well, that's exactly what's going on here. And so she she says, you, you, "You're you're uncovering." Well, I don't know if that was, I don't know if that was a, a just um, charge, but nonetheless, you remember you remember her attitude toward David. She despised him in her heart. She hated him. It's not love now. It's it's not a good feeling. It's not, no, no, no. That's far gone. That's gone away so long ago. Now she hates him. Verse 21. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than this, and will be base in mine own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be head in honor. Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. Which kind of explains a little bit of the rest of their relationship. That was so, that dried up so much, that was so, that was so deformed at this point. What a blow. How contrary to the spirit of the event was this perceived by Michael? Everybody else is rejoicing. I mean, they're rejoicing, but and, and David, he's like a little child in a candy shop. He's so excited. He's, he's jumping for joy, doing cartwheels before the Lord, saying, isn't this wonderful? We have God's blessings, and we're all rejoicing together, and, and she's looking at that with a, Totally different. A totally different spirit. It would seem that David's demeanor was one of humility and piety between himself and his Lord. And that's what he said. Listen, I'm not... Ch- yes, I'm, I'm humble before the Lord. Yeah, it's like I'm a child before the Lord. And he says, that's okay. That's how it should be. I'm, I'm not here to lift myself up I want to lift up God, and and that's what his attitude, you can kind of see that through his words. She would have none of it, though. She didn't interpret it that way at all. She looked at it with evil intentions, and and that David was vile, and and that he was vulgar, and it was ridiculous buffoonery. That's how she saw it. Goodness. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been mischaracterized by the lost or... See, you love the Lord and what you do, and, and, and you think it's wonderful, and you're just having a great time serving the Lord, and then somebody on the outside looks at what you're doing, or your piety, and, and, and uh, assigns a, a negative um, motive. That ever happened to you? You ever been mischaracterized by the lost? Well, you just give money to be noticed in that church. That's why you give give every every Sunday, or you follow the pastor because he's some kind of a cult leader with an iron fist to hold on your mind. Every time I drop off my wife, you can ask her. Every time I drop off my wife at church, uh, you know she she goes down to, to be with the Sunday School department that she's working in right now, and uh, I'll go and park out, out here. And by the way, I'm glad that there's no pastor parking spot. I, I really am glad for that. Because, by the way, now, IRS actually made a, a ruling, I don't know if you heard this or not, that if you have uh, assigned parking spots for staff or for pastor, for anybody that works for the organization, then you know, you're going to be taxed and all this kind of stuff. And you know, that, We don't have to worry about that because I have no parking spot. I actually park phew, way out there because I want our visitors to, to park closer. I, I just want the best for them. Anyway, so, <clears throat> so I drop my wife off because I don't want her to walk all the way so every, no no kidding every time every Sunday every Wednesday when I when I drop off my wife and I go park I say and she's getting out of the car I, I say all right now just don't get brainwashed in there <laughs> That's what people say, you know? Really? Yeah, don't you have relatives like that? Yeah, you're brainwashed. You're, you're Bible believers of something that Bible like <laughs> whatever. You're in it for the money or for glory or for praise or for some position. Yuck. You know, when you, when you see that kind of stuff and you say, you know what, yes, there are, there are abuses in the religious realm for sure. But God forbid that, that we would have that here. And it's just not that way. A lost person doesn't know. They're, they're just, they're just operating from what they... See, because look, they're operating from their position and they say, nobody could like that stuff. Nobody could enjoy that. Nobody could... You know, you, you must have a different motive. And sometimes we're mischaracterized. Well, David here was surely mischaracterized. Now, getting back to Michael. <clears throat> we, we read the verse, the first verse that we started with, showed how that a young Michael loved a young David and was given to him to be his wife. What happened? What in the world happened between then and now where it was extreme love? And we're gonna look at some of the things that, that happened earlier in the, in their marriage. Wow, it was just wonderful. It was wonderful. What in the what in the world what could take place that goes from this place to this place where they're singing you don't sing me love songs. <laughs> you don't send me flowers, or whatever that song is. That's a sad song. It really is. It's a sad song. But it's, it's so common. It's so true. What, what happened with David and with Michael? David and Michael started out with a great love for one another. <clears> 1 <throat> Samuel chapter 18, verse 28, we started with this verse. Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And now look at it. <clears throat> now tonight, we're going to do some investigation in this relationship. If you, if you don't mind, give me some uh, freedom to do this. We're going we're to kind of play investigator, detective. And hopefully we're going to help our relationships to become resilient against the enemies of love. So to figure out where they went wrong, we have to go back to the beginning of their love affair. After David slew Goliath, I mean, he was a single man here. He was just a kid that was, I don't know, about 17 or so, that he was in the fields. He was a shepherd, and his dad said, go bring these cheeses to your brother, find out what's going on, and you know the whole story. Um, He's a young man back there. After slaying Goliath, David was on on one skyrocket of a ride to fame and to position and to power. Now, God had anointed him prior to this time and was identified this is going to be the next king of Israel, but after that event, I mean, it was known. It was known in all the, the land that he was the one that slew Goliath. Remember they sang songs, uh, Saul is slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And that's when Saul began with getting, uh, getting those, uh, those uh, green shaded glasses that he saw everything with envy from that point on. Jealousy. Would be, what do you mean, me, thousands and David ten thousands? And he wants to kill David. He wants to take him out of the, out of the picture. But David was always depending on the Lord, and he was prudent, and he was wise, and he was humble at that point. Saul offers David the position of son-in-law to the king for all of the wrong reasons. And you can read this on your own later if you want to. And and, uh, Saul wanted to actually trip him up. He wanted to get David to where he could could find some weak spots in David's life, so therefore he could get rid of him, and then he'd have no more problem with David. That's what he thought in his mind. But that didn't matter to Michael, who had stars in her eyes as a young woman at this point, and, and probably many in Israel saw David and saw his, his uh, walk for the Lord and his purity and, and what God used him to do and how he was a man of men, he was a, a leader of leaders, and, and uh, was admired, I'm sure, and, and Michael was one of them, and uh, Michael looked at David like that, and where did they go wrong? Well, take a look. First of all, she cherished my, uh, uh, David, and David cherished Michael. First Samuel eighteen, verse twenty-seven. <clears throat> this is uh, upon the the uh, situation where um, Saul wants to trip up David, and so he says, "Okay, I'll give you my daughter for a hundred skins of of uh, uh, Philistines." Go ahead and and, uh, kill 100 Philistines. Prove it, and then you can have my daughter to to wed. At first, it was the older daughter, but then, you know, that didn't work. He was just saying it because he wanted to say it, but then when David followed through with it, it says in 1 Samuel 18:27, Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew of the Philistines two, not 100, men. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full tale to the king, that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. And Saul, and, and Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Now, again, like I say, Saul did this so he could trip him up so that he could actually kill him, take him out of the picture, But for David to do this, he must have really thought, you know what, I I really want that gal. I really want the daughter of of Saul to risk his life 200 times for him, for her, goodness. Yes, there were political and powerful ramifications to this marriage also, but none of that mattered to, to Michael. This is what she's thinking at that point. He loves me. He loves me that much, and she felt cherished. She felt like she was the, the most valued person in the whole world, and she loved that spot, and she loved that position, and, and, and here just, it just fanned the flames of love because she was cherished. And she displayed her love to David with fidelity, with sacrifice. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse number 11. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him, to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. She says, Hey, listen, my dad's going to, he's after you, and there's some trouble brewing. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped, and Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster, and covered it with a cloth. Here, what she's doing is, is she's, she's uh, making a decoy, saying, David's sick, he's not going to get up today. And they're saying, well, okay, well, while David's actually gone, he's, he's hoofing it, he's beating feet, where, where he's, he's saving his life. And, and Michael is lying to her, her dad, and the forces that are coming after uh, to kill David, and she's hiding and she's, you know, doing this. She's lying. She's sticking up for him. She's concocting against her her uh, father to save this guy's life. She worked on David's behalf. She risked her life for his. She plotted. She lied to her dad. She understood that her world now revolved around her new life, not her dad, but her new life. By the way, that's what I tell all of those that are that are getting married. By the way, the next marriage is. is uh, Is it this coming Saturday? Yeah, 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 this coming Saturday. Nathan's getting married. Nathan and Katie. Wow. Anyway... This is what I tell everybody that's getting married. Hey, no matter what love, no matter what a wonderful thing it was, your your life prior to this marriage, that was the old universe. This is the new universe. You have a new solar system. You have a new orbit. And your universe revolves around this relationship, this husband and wife and these kids. That's what the, the relationship is all about now. And, and Michael, sure enough, she, she paid attention to that. She loved David even more than her dad, and that was her whole life. And, and she risked her life for David. She sacrificed, she was cherished, she sacri- sacrificed for, and then things kind of went awry. And it's really too bad, because truthfully, in this situation, there were others who used Michael as a pawn. As as a, a political uh, chess piece, see what happens after this whole situation where uh, Saul is after David and David has to run for his life, and so he's gone, and so then Saul takes and gives Michael to another man to be somebody else's wife, and then <clears throat> David. When he's gone and he's, he's running for his life, there's other women that come into the situation to where there's other loves in David's life that actually are developed. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 44, uh, 42. 1 Samuel 25, 42. And Abigail, you remember Abigail, this whole story about Abigail, and she was uh, Nabal's wife. You remember Nabal? Nabal, his name means fool. <laughs> and he was He was a drunken sot. This guy was just, it was awful. And and that's Nabal. Anyway, so, uh, and Abigail, but Abigail was sharp. I mean, uh, it was probably because of her understanding and her prudence that actually, uh, you know, uh, got the success of the businesses that Nabal was involved with. Who knows? But, boy, she knew how to to, uh, manipulate and how to uh, get the best of things, and she knew how to mitigate the, the the, uh, negative character uh, traits of her husband, And, uh, you know, David, he's running from Saul and he's going by and he says, listen, we need some help here. How about it? uh, Nabal, uh, give us some some refreshment. uh, Give us some water and food and and we'll be out of your hair. We'll pay for everything. And he says, who's David? (laughs) Get him out of here. And so David, he puts on his sword and his his men get ready to go slaughter. And Abigail, she comes out there and she says, no, no, David, my husband is a fool. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's drunk. Don't don't listen to him. Here is a gift, and she gives him uh, uh, food refreshment, and refreshment, and appeases his his anger. And he says, "Thank you, thank you, thank you. If it wasn't for you, I would have slain this man, and it probably wouldn't be right. But that's, you know, that's what was going to happen." And I tell you, she was a she was a sharp cookie. That night, Nabal died. His heart became a stone. I don't know if you ever, uh, you know you know watched some kind of a story or you know you you know read something or watched a movie or something like that and and it's like the just up and comings happens and you're going yes <laughs> anyway so he dies and he's out of the picture and uh so then david says to abigail hey i want you on my team and he he marries her takes her 1 Samuel 25, verse 42. And Abigail hasted and arose and rode upon an ass with five damsels of hers that went after her. And she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. You remember what happened? There's no more Michael. She was, she was plucked out of uh, David's life and given to another. He's not married to her any longer. It looks like he's single again. And so here he takes on um, Abigail. And David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel. And they were also, both of them, his wives. But Saul had given Michael his daughter, David's wife, to Felti, the son of Laish, which was of Gelim. And so there's, there's other people that come into the, into the mix, which complicates everything. All of a sudden, there's other loves, and the heart of both David and Michael are divided and changed forever. And so there's other loves that, that come into the picture. Not just David, but Michael. Second Samuel chapter 3, verse number 13. And he said, Well, I will make a league with thee, but one thing that I require of thee, that is, thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. Now here, let me, I should have given the background here. Uh, when David takes the throne, Saul is dead. He's out of the picture. And uh, uh, Saul's forces come to join up with David. David says, "Okay, wait a minute. There's there's some unfinished business here. I had a wife. Her name was Michael. Saul took her away from me. If you want to bring the kingdom back and let me be king over all of the land, I want Michael back. You bring her back." And they realized, okay, small. Uh, Small charge for this feature. And so they did. So they, that's what they did. He says, I, I, I want her back. Thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. Verse 14. And David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, deliver me my wife, Michael. Which I espoused to me for an hundred foreskins of the Philistines. You actually remember he paid two hundred instead of a hundred. Over he he doubled the price there. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, even from Feltiel. That was Feltai, the son of Laish. And her husband, that is Feltiel, went with her along, weeping behind her to Bahurim. Then said Abner unto him, Go return, go home, get out of here. And he returned. Now, wait a minute, you just can't do that, but that's what he did. He he stole Michael, or he ripped Michael from her now relationship, her now husband, and and they they said, hey, you got nothing to do with this, you get out of here. That was was a, a, a bogus relationship in the first place. Go home. But his heart is entwined in this. Michael's heart was entwined in this. How's that going to sit? Wow, wow. See, there's not much said of felti or feltiel, but what is said speaks volumes. First off, he was the rebound guy. He was the one that when Saul was doing this, and she, he was using Michael, he was abusing Michael actually for this whole political scene, giving him giving her to uh, David to to trip him up, and then that didn't work, and then David's now run off and taking her, giving her to somebody else. And, and here's Faltiel. He didn't win her. He was just the guy that was there. He's the rebound guy. Don't ever be that guy. Don't ever be that woman. You know, sometimes it's like young people have no sense at all. None. None whatsoever. Don't think with the brain. They just don't. And, you know, when I give counsel, I say, listen, if you, and, and this is what I've given counsel here. You know Some of you know that I've given counsel, to, if you're familiar with me and know what I say and, and how I try to counsel people that are in situations or relationships. I say, listen, I, I made the decision when I lost Kathy not to make a major decision for a time because I knew that I was going to be emotionally involved. I was going to be emotionally involved uh, uh, inept. You know what I'm saying? So I, I said for one year at least, one year I'm not going to change ministries, I'm not going to get married, I'm not going to pursue a relationship for one year at least. It was five years before I ever came to find my wife and how the Lord blessed and this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But in that, that first, I knew, I knew that I was not able because of the the emotional trauma in my life, because of the grief, which was frankly overwhelming, it was frankly overwhelming in my life, um, I wasn't able to make that kind of a decision. But people are making stupid decisions all of a sudden when, while they're in the midst of grief, while they're in the midst of 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 their life being upside down. That's hey, listen, that's stupid. Okay, that's. Even if my wife's here, that's okay. She's, she's, she's steaming right now. She's saying, don't use that word. Okay, it's, it, was, it was stew and it's pid, okay? So it's, <laughs> I'm telling you, really, it's, it's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. Don't do that. And for, and for sure, don't be the rebound guy. Don't be the rebound gal. Say, what do you mean? Listen, Michael was in love with David and, and Saul's, rips her from that relationship and, and gives her to somebody else and, and now there's you know, something going on over here and, and, and whatever and uh, Feltale was just the rebound guy. He was just there. Complications. Skewed emotions. Bad judgments. He was the guy that was just in the spot of and there was an opportunity. There was opportunism here. It wasn't a level playing field. My advice to others, don't make big decisions and great trial or heartache or grief, and don't be the rebound person. You say, okay, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all set. Oh, yeah? What just happened in your life? You know, well, you know, seven hours ago, I, I you know, I lost my family, and I, you know, everything happened, you know, and, I, and so I'm now ready. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> ha! <laughs> it, it doesn't happen, folks, it doesn't happen you, you've got to, you must, you must, you must take a break from your life decisions you can't make big decisions at that point point. and Faltiel won Michael on unfair scales he didn't do anything to win her love, he was just there it was wrong, it was too easy, too good to be true and it was it's too good to be true. And when they took Michael, you remember finally when David comes back into power and says, that's my wife, excuse me, that's my wife. So they, they ripped her now from Faltiel and they give her to Michael. And you remember that whole situation they're bringing him to Michael and he's, he's uh, walking behind with the situation and his attitude is, you know, he was brokenhearted. He loved her at this point. She probably loved him at this point. But he says, well, okay, I guess you can have her back. Hey, meathead, what about fighting to the death for the woman you love? I mean, if that's the case. And not much of a man. He was not much of a man here. He, he, he just, you know, let this happen to him, and maybe he couldn't do anything about it, but he could, he could bring blood. But you know what? He, was, he, he, he wasn't a real strong man. But that wasn't taken into consideration by Michael. She was used as a pawn the whole time in both marriages. In the first marriage, where her daddy was, was actually doing that for political advantages and to get David into the spot. And then afterwards, he, he's doing that uh, in spite of David and her. But see, the thing about it was her heart was compromised. She loved Feltil now. You can't just rip him out, but that's what was done. And then take a look at heartache. Second Samuel 3:15. Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, even from Feltiel, the son of Lechish, and her husband went with her along, along weeping behind her to Bethlehem. We also see the devastation in Michael's heart—not just Feltiel's, but in Michael's heart, because you remember in the text that we read how that first she loved him, and now, in her life, she despises him. Goodness. She lashes out at David. It's a big difference from loving him with all of her heart to despising him in her heart. She hated the very ground that he walked on now because he did this to her, and she was not going to forgive him. My goodness, if you ever get in a situation to where you have that kind of a spirit, you're in big trouble. Listen, friends, you're in big trouble. You must, you must forgive you must forgive, and it doesn't matter what. Yeah, but Pastor, you don't know what happened to me. No, no, no. You must forgive. If you don't forgive, you are the one that's going to hurt. But she was—I mean, that was not in her vocabulary. She's having none of that. There's unforgiveness there, and then you see the humiliation and the hatred. We read these verses in Second Samuel six sixteen, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Also down to verse number 20, 2 Samuel six twenty, It says, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. Now, I don't know, but she may have expected a place of honor in the palace. Her expectation may have been one of honor and respect and wealth as nobility. She didn't see David's relationship before the Lord as pious and wonderful. No, no. To her, it was idiotic. It was childlike. She saw the relationship that David had with the Lord as just another infidelity in, in the palace. You know, she's had to endure a few of those. She was not happy with her place in David's life and in the palace. and she, Her expectation was one of her own making. Maybe she wanted to be cherished as the most important love of David's life like she felt like early on, but she couldn't have it now. She saw that David actually cherished and loved something, someone more than herself. I know I'm filling in the blanks, and I could be wrong with my conclusions here, but one thing she did was she did despise David's relationship to the Lord for whatever reasons. And boy, she she despised it. This wasn't merely an end of love. This was the birth of animosity, of hatred, of ill will. She saw all that David did as contemptible, as shameful, as vile. She went beyond merely not loving him to no, no, no. She was way beyond that point. She hated him. She hated him. He couldn't do anything right at this point. Wow. So we we looked at that relationship, how it started so wonderful and ended up so sour. Where they went wrong. How about us? How about us in our relationships? The relationships that God has blessed me with. The relationship that God has blessed you with. The relationships that you have around with your loved ones, with your family, with your spouse. How about your... Romance with the Lord. Is there, any, is there anything here that we can be careful about? Yeah, I think so. Um, how about our relationship with, let's say, husbands and wives? Do you cherish your wife? Do you, do you honor your husband? You know, um, the feeling that Michael had to begin with was one where she felt like she was the most important person, she was cherished by David and and David uh, put her up on this pedestal and she was loved and she felt like it. Husbands, you think your wives don't long for that. That's not that's not one of the most important things to your wife in this universe is to have her husband to look at her and cherish her and love her, honor her, put her on that pedestal in his heart, and say, You are the most important person in my life. Outside of the Lord, you're the most important important person on earth to me. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. See that was how they started and that's what, what increased the love and that that's what, what uh, fanned the flames of romance. How about your your fidelity and your sacrifice to one another? Folks, God deserves our best. Your your spouse deserves your best. But you remember where they started going wrong? The other loves, the, the things that really complicated the whole situation, the whole mess? Listen, husband, wife, you better be real, real careful about getting into a situation to where something wiggles its way in between husband and wife and, and draws what should go to your spouse. You know, it doesn't have to be physical infidelity, you know, immoral. It doesn't have to be that. It can be an emotional infidelity. It can be a friendship. It could be a uh, an attitude in your heart where you begin to uh, talk with somebody else and the, about the things that you sh- you would talk to your best friend about, but it's not your it's not your spouse. You better be careful about that. See, because wherever there is, wherever there are these. Um, Extra relationships that come in No matter what it is Whether it be a person or a thing Or a, or a, uh, a career It doesn't matter Those other loves That wiggle their way in Don't even go there Don't even go there Ruins everything Colors everything Messes things up in such a, such a Damaging way I mean you better You know what you, you need to do Husbands and wives, what you need to do is you need to give great attention to the relationship that God has given you, this right here, right now, that you're involved with, regardless of what happened in the past or what's going on here. Hey, listen, right now, this is where God has you, and your job is to be the best that you can be for your spouse and to honor and uplift that relationship and to eliminate and to box out any other loves, any other uh, challenges to that love. And then you remember the heartache that Michael endured in this broken relationship, broken relationship, and here David was at the, the heart of it, and there was some offense that, that had taken place there, and the heartache that was there. Folks, when offense arises, and there's not a one perfect person in this auditorium, there are, are no such things as a perfect mate. Satan will whisper that in your ear, saying, well, look at him, look at her. How wonderful. Wouldn't it be? No, no, no. There's no such thing. No such thing. Offenses will come. People will let you down. The only person that will never let you down is the Lord. People will always let you down. When, when problems take place, when offenses take place, you, you've got to determine, you must decide to forgive. You must decide to to allow the blood of Christ to cleanse that also. Unforgiveness kills relationships. And then what's left over is humiliation and hatred, just like that, just like David and Michael. If it gets that far, then major operation on the heart must be engaged in. I remember, and it was a great Great wisdom that my pastor, Brother Tom McGath, used to give us when I was in Bible college. He was the guy that would say, "You know, uh, gentlemen, we've got a new moon tonight. You know, full moon. Go home the long way." <laughs> he had this barn on on this fifty acres there in Springfield as a hay barn. And he would rent it out to couples in the church to come and and, uh, uh, and enjoy the the, <laughs> the farm. <laughs> this is weird on on, uh, on uh, full moons. <laughs> He'd always say, "Man, just go out there and look at the moon." <laughs> I remember Price Brown, one of the head deacons. He uh, he said that he took advantage of Brother McGath's words, you know, and. So he saw this beautiful night in Springfield and, and uh, after church, the kids are old enough where they're driving and stuff and so they went home on their own and they took the long way and they parked and looking at the moon and he says to his wife, he says, honey, look at that moon, isn't that beautiful? What do you think about when you look at that moon? She goes, brother McGath. Laughter <laughs> This is what Brother McGaff said, and I'll never forget. It was so good, so wise. He says, gentlemen, it doesn't take much to do maintenance in your home with your spouse. It doesn't take much. A word here, a kindness that you show, some flowers that you bring, a card that you you go ahead and put a few words on, a date night. He says it doesn't take much to keep your wife happy. He says, but if she ever gets unhappy, then it's a booger. Then it's, then it's difficult, sometimes nigh impossible, to get her back happy. Hey, that's some good advice. That is some good advice. Don't let it get to the place where, in David's relationship, where the end of, man, that was irreparable at that point, just about. Well, not totally, see, because the Lord could do anything. He really can He can change things. He can he's the only one that operates in hearts. You and I don't. But if it gets that far where it's so bad as David and Michael, then like I say, major operation of the heart has got to be engaged in. If you're there, then you gotta stop right now and and do whatever drastic measures that you need to get it back where it should be. The advice is don't ever let it get there. Do maintenance. Do maintenance. Appreciate your spouse. Love your husband. Love your wife. You know, the first part of their, uh, Michael and David's relationship where they cherished one another and fidelity, they sacrificed for one another. It was when there were other things that started, you know, coming in play. Man, what a mess. Bring it back to the first days. You know, that's what Jesus said. You know, he's talking about the church that lost its first love says, what do you do? He says, repent and do the first works. That's what he said. You need to, you need to take, take a, an honest inventory of where you're at and say, man, uh, far from where we started, far from how it used to be, let's get it back. Do the first works. Do what, what you used to do. To, when you had that, that wonderful relationship, when you did cherish, when you did honor, when you did have those times that, that was, you just got to do that. You just got to maintain Lord, I pray that you would help us to pay attention to the relationships that you've blessed us with. But then, Lord, also in our walk with you, every one of these points applies to our walk with, with you and our relationship with you. Lord, you've, you've honored us and you've cherished us and you've loved us like, you, like nobody's ever loved us. My fidelity and sacrifice to you. Sometimes I, I look at what I'm doing right now and maybe coasting. No, I don't ever want to get there. I don't ever want to do that, Lord. I, I I wanna, I wanna, honor and love and sacrifice for you like, uh, the 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 first days of of the relationship of being in love. Lord, I don't ever want any other loves, any other. Uh, uh, Vise for my attention, for my heart. Lord, I don't want anything to get in the way. Lord, I, I want to come to you for all things and I, I I wanna I wanna avoid the the ugliness of a cold and distant relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to to pay attention, pay attention of how to keep a relationship the in the right way, the right attitude, the right method, the right uh, actions. Lord, thank you for Michael and David's relationship and for showcasing that in your, in your word and showing us how that they were good and strong and tight, and then what happened to, to bring them apart. Lord, I pray that you'd just strengthen us. Lord, that you'd bring us to where we need to be. Lord, that you'd help us to, to apply these things, to love each other, to cherish each other, to forgive each other. Lord, that we need to. Lord, we need these things Lord, we pray that you would just help us, help us to, to have relationships with each other, with you, Lord, that are honoring. Lord, I pray that you just speak to hearts here tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.